what I want to speak into this afternoon is the priority and the de demeanor of discipleship in regards to patience. Take your Bibles and let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 3. What I'm going to do is going to read a few verses from 2 Timothy 3 and then also chapter 4. And then what I want to do is to highlight about eight other passages in the New Testament that I think give a bit of a biblical theological defense of the primacy of patience in discipleship. So 2 Timothy 3 and verse 10. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from all of them the Lord rescued me. And then skip ahead to chapter four. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time will come when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves. Teachers to suit their own passions will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. The first church that I served in was not the kind of church background that I grew up in. Somewhere in seminary, I, I missed this particular truth, that not all Baptist churches were the same. I was hired as a youth pastor, and about 18 months later, when the senior pastor left, I became the senior pastor of this church. But it was, unbeknownst to me at the time, a independent, fundamental, King James-only, Beulah Land singing kind of Baptist church, if you know what I'm saying. I remember the day when I was considering this calling that I took my New American Standard Bible and slid it back on the shelf and pulled my King James Schofield Bible that had been given to me at my ordination, and that was the translation that I used for eight years. When I have friends that would come and they would come to the church, they would wonder, why are you why are you using this particular translation? And there was a story behind it. And essentially, it was the love language of our people, and it became a symbol of something even bigger, which was there were a number of things in this church that needed to be addressed and changed, a number of ways in which they needed to be loved, a number of passages that we needed to walk through together. And what had happened when I was there as a youth pastor is despite the fact that I hadn't grown up in this kind of church, here's what happened. I fell in love with them. 
I, I wanted to see them grow in grace. I wanted to see them move beyond sort of this, this, this fundamentalistic tradition that they had been sort of um, captured by, and I wanted to see them grow into something further. And so when my friends would ask me, why, why are you here? This doesn't seem to fit you. My answer was this. It's because I love my people more than I hate where they're at. And when in a staff meeting we were frustrated over the, the dynamics of leading this church and some of the challenges that were there, and don't get me wrong, they were really good people. They let me be their pastor at age 26. I had no, no standing, no right to be able to do so. And in our moments of frustration, when we were like, ah, this is so difficult, and how did we get here? We would remind ourselves, we have to love our people more than we hate where they're at. This was the first of many decisions over an 11-year ministry where I learned firsthand the importance of pastoral patience when it comes to discipleship at any level. And when I talk about discipleship, and you'll hear a lot more of how this is going to be unpacked at this conference, I think of discipleship at a macro level in terms of pulpit ministry, membership, what it means to do church discipline, church governance, and I also think of it as a micro level where it's either individual, one-on-one, -on -one, or in small groups. So when I say discipleship, I mean all of that, and I think that discipleship, whether it's at macro level or at micro level, all require wise pastors to disciple people and to disciple churches both with patience and for patience. And so, what I wanna do is try and unpack this idea because for all of us, change in churches and change in people's lives, change in our kids, change in our marriage, everything that's related to discipleship takes a lot more time than any of us would like. And there's far more about pastoral ministry that's more incremental. It's like you go underneath the ship and you turn the rudder three degrees and you wait and pray and wait and pray. And I think that this idea of pastoral patience is not only important, I think it's needed. So what I wanna do is first help you understand afresh that patience is a mark of discipleship, and therefore it should be a priority. And then secondly, for you to understand that patience is a key component of pastoral ministry, and therefore it should be modeled. So first, patience is a mark of discipleship, and it should be a priority. When you think of the word discipleship, what are the things that come to mind? There's really good things that come to mind, like, Obedience, like you heard about this morning with Dr. Aiken's message, and fidelity to Christ. Maybe you think about understanding the, the essence of what the scripture teaches, and all of that would be true. But the question I would ask you is where does patience fall into the prioritization of how you think about discipleship? So, first of four texts, Galatians 5.2. Patience is a fruit of the Spirit, so it has to be a part of the discipleship conversation. Paul writes, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, and here it comes, patience. Now, I know that you know it's on the list, but my question is, is it 
part of the curriculum that you have in mind for when you are discipling people. By patience, some would define it this way, the ability to take a great deal of hardship, sometimes from evil people or circumstances without losing one's temper, without becoming irritated or angry, without taking vengeance. It includes the capacity to bear pain and trials without complaint, the ability to forbear under provocation and self-control, which keeps one from acting rashly even though suffering, oppression, or adversity comes. John Wesley said this, patience is a gracious temper wrought in the heart of a believer by the power of the Holy Ghost. It is a disposition to suffer whatever God pleases in a manner and for the time that it pleases him. So I just suggest to you that part of your vision for discipleship has to include this fruit of patience in people's lives. Part of the discipleship conversation with the people who you're gonna engage in in one-on-one meetings with or in small groups ought to include looking for opportunities to press into this reality of this fruit called patience. Patience essentially means that I love something more than what's right in front of me that's creating the pain in my life. Patience means that I'm going to rely on God's grace and believe that I have a sufficient help in my time of need. Dallas Willard in his book, Renovation of the Heart, says that sometimes we think that grace is what ungodly people think they need, but the reality, or we think that grace is what ungodly people need, but rather grace is what godly people need. He says that grace is consumed the most by godly people. Grace to them is like breath. They breathe grace. When do they breathe grace? Oh, certainly they breathe it all the time, but they breathe it more intensely when trials or difficulties put them in a position where they are forced to learn patience. I was reading this book on vacation with my wife some years ago and was uh, sharing with her this wonderful and helpful thought. And at the time we had um, twin boys who were young and they were in car seats And there's something about a car seat moment when a parent is buckling their children in that you get to see the depravity of man displayed very clearly, right? I don't know what it is with a child if something within them says, this is the battle, this is the moment, I'm gonna draw the line right now. And they arch their little backs as you're trying to put them in. And so you're pushing their pelvic in and you're trying to get it down. And it it is a, is it not a war? Do we not agree this is a patience moment? And and then you have twins in our case, and so it's a double sanctification. Apparently the Lord, knew that we needed a lot of sanctification. And after telling my wife this, this truth, I heard her trying to buckle the twins in the car and they were pushing against and arcing their backs and she was struggling with them and everything else. And then I heard her under her breath say, grace, 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 grace. She's repeating the word over and over and over and over. And in this moment, what she's doing is she's trying to take a biblical truth about grace being to the godly like breath and apply it in the reality of the world in which she lives. She's making the connection between biblical truth and car seats. That is discipleship. (laughs) So patience is a fruit of the spirit. Therefore, we ought to think, how does discipleship relate to this issue of patience? Now, secondly, patience is not only part of the fruit of the spirit, but it's also a key mark of spiritual maturity. Listen to Hebrews chapter six, verse 11 and 12. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness and to have the full assurance of hope until the end 
so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators, notice that, imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. So that word imitator is really important. In 1 Corinthians 4, Paul says, be imitators of me. In 1 Corinthians 11, he says, be imitators of me as I imitate Christ. In Ephesians 5, he says, be imitators of God. So clearly the writer of Hebrews wants something significant to happen, and what's more, he doesn't want us to be sluggish, which means to be slow to learn or spiritually careless. So what is, what is he say that we should be imitators of, imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. So the goal, therefore, in discipleship is more than just a program. Certainly, a program of discipleship, nothing wrong with that at all. In fact, I commend them to you. You need some sort of of formal, thought-through strategy at some level, how all both the macro and micro combine to create a discipleship culture. But at the end of the day, discipleship has to be more than a culture. It involves the imitation of others as you observe their faith and as you observe their patience in the process of inheriting the promises. Do you have people in your world, in your congregation, who are modeling this type of patient inheriting of the promises? I do. A man named Don whose wife has Alzheimer's, and he is patiently applying what it means to be a godly husband to a wife whose memory is fading. Part of the role of being a good discipler is not just to teach, but to point people and say, watch how Don lives his life. Watch, imitate Don and how he cares for a wife with Alzheimer's. Or another brother named Mark who watched his father struggle physically for for many years and yet cared for him as a a son honoring his father. To, To point to him and say, watch how this brother, by patience, is figuring out how to follow Jesus. Or Tim, a man who's in a wheelchair and every week sits in the back, who has joy in his soul and a great marriage despite his physical limitations. He has found a way to be happy and joyful in the Lord, to point to him and say, follow that brother. Be an imitator of this brother who is figuring out how to embrace patience and inheriting the promises. Discipleship involves the patient application of the word in people's lives with a vision to see them grow in their understanding of what the gospel is. And therefore, if you're a preacher, if you're the main communicator of God's word, you should think through what is the patient application of the scriptures week after week look like in your particular assembly. It ought to be a bad thing if someone in your church comes and says, hey, I'm gonna invite a visitor next week. Are you gonna preach the gospel next week? That's, that's not a good question. Instead, it ought to be the gospel is present every single week. But what you'll find over the years is that your sermon and its applicability and the appropriateness of the way in which the gospel is shared fits into an overall fabric of what it means for people to grow in their spiritual maturity. And you don't see that in a week or a month or a year. 
That's expressed over the the long-term ministry of faithfully applying the word because you believe that spiritual maturity involves patiently seeking after the promises. One of the things at our church that we're attempting to do is to find an intentional way to connect our elders to our members. And in a in a church that's large, that's a challenging thing to do, and yet we're committed to trying to figure out some way to be able to do that, and so we're trying to shepherdize our elders to move away from just the business side to actually get them connected to individual people because their connection to them is not only good for our people, but it's good for our elders as both of them understand the beauty of what it means to be able to patiently see spiritual maturity happening in all of us. So patience is a part of what a pastor should desire in his people. It's part of what he should long for, and it is part of what he should pray for. Now listen to Colossians chapter 1 and verse 9. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Colossians 1.11, may you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for what? For all endurance and patience with joy. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. When Paul says, may you be strengthened for all endurance and patience with joy, that sounds like in the midst of suffering or hardship, my prayer for you is you'd figure out how to be able to make it through that, not just with grit, but with a sense of I'm here on earth under the authority of Jesus for these kind of moments. Part of your vision for discipleship needs to be that you are helping people to know how to suffer before that suffering comes. To teach them how to think rightly about endurance, how to think rightly about patience. And as a discipler, to realize that moments where patience is at a premium are some of the most important moments for discipleship and growth. Think of your own walk with the Lord. How many of us have learned lessons the best when things were easy? Oh, on the contrary, it's moments of desperation, moments when patience is thin, moments when we're having to struggle to endure. Those are the moments when we are most interested and most open and most ready for what it is that God wants to do in our lives. John Piper compares this to a beaker with a clear solution, and our lives look very clear, and underneath is this settled sediment. And we look all clean and pure and right, we know what our Bibles say, and then something comes along and bumps the beaker, and the sediment of self-sufficiency suddenly surfaces. And this is what happens when the sediment of self-sufficiency has been bumped, and you're able to see the reality of what is inside. Those are unbelievable opportunities for discipleship. And so what I'm suggesting to you is that if patience is a priority, then when those moments come, these are opportunities for you to run into the storm of a person's life and to see this is a great moment for discipleship. It's not just about pastoral care. It's not just about helping them with the needs in their life. This is a great moment for them to learn things that they're never going to learn except for this particular moment. At our church, we have a a pastoral residency program. We have 
post-seminary grads who come with us for two years, and part of the aim of that program is to put these brothers in situations that are way over their head, ask them to do things that they don't feel qualified for, and in some respects, bring them to the point where they're just about drowning, because we find in those moments, suddenly things surface, and we're able to see what's really going on inside of their soul, and their pastoral patience needs to grow so they can be well-positioned to serve the church in another way. So we want to push them so they understand this beauty and also the challenge of pastoral patience in their own soul. Finally, pastoral patience, or patience rather, excuse me, is a genuine, a mark of genuine conversion. Luke chapter 8 and verse 14, as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but As they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and the riches and the pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. And as for that, in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart, and here's what it says, and bear fruit with patience. So again, there's something about patience that relates not just to the immediate endurance, but to the long-term affirmation that what I believe is indeed real. Discipleship is about helping people to move in their understanding of the gospel and in their maturity and in their relationship with Jesus. And it is about verifying over the sum total of a person's lifetime that what they believe is really what they believe. So, I want to put patience on the curriculum of your discipleship program for you to realize how important it is, how vital it is, what a golden opportunity it is. And you may be even here today, sort of at the end of your rope, so to speak, and you've come to this conference because either A, you wanted to get away, or B, you just need someone to fill you. And I want you to know that if you're here and you're just being filled even during this, uh, this, this weekend, that part of God's aim for your life is to frame you and form you and break you and reshape you, and you're not off plan, you're right on plan. And there may be hard people in your church that God has sent for the express purpose of forming things in you that wouldn't be there were it not for these people. And having gone to one church and then taking a call at another, I have news for you. There are the same people at my church who were in my former church. They followed me. Not literally, but figurative. Like I find this dude and I'm like, I, I've dealt with you before, like 20 years ago. And the reality is I sometimes wonder if God isn't sending me these kind of people because there are things that he wants to work on my life. So I'm working harder so we can get rid of those people around my world. So. <laughs> Secondly, Pastoral patience is a key component of pastoral ministry, and therefore it should be modeled. So if, if patience is a vital part of discipleship, I want to suggest to you that one of the main ways that God accomplishes patience in a discipleship program or in a church is by building a discipleship culture by creating patience in the heart of the discipler or the pastor. And therefore, rather than resisting this, I want to suggest that you should embrace it. Spiritual leadership, first, has always involved patience. Book of James says this. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. 
Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job. You've seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. You start reading the Bible through this lens, you'll begin to see patience emerge all over the place. That's what I did. A number of months ago, I, I taught on 2 Timothy 3, this idea of patience emerged. I began tracing it out. I was like, this is all over the place. When you, when you read books about discipleship, when you think about training up the next generation leaders, is, is patience on your radar? And are those the kind of questions that you even ask older brothers or sisters who are ahead of you in their walk with Christ about how has the Lord helped you to develop patience over the years? You see, I think part of my job description as a pastor is God's development of patience within me. There are some issues that are only solved with time. The faithful application of the word it's not a quick fix. And so, in my last church, I had to learn that. But this church is not gonna change overnight. They had been told for years what to think, not taught how to think. They'd been given a really bad model. We started walking through the, the Bible verse by verse, line by line. We came up to Matthew 18, and hey, you know, it says we should, should, should do church discipline. How about we try that? So we did that, and Ephesians 4 says we should have a model of ministry that involves equipping the saints for the work of the ministry, and you just begin to line by line teach them, and over time, spiritual development begins to happen. And the reality is, is that patience is a vital part, and as has always been a part, of what spiritual leadership was meant to be. Back to 2 Timothy 3. Secondly, this character of patience is an important part of pastoral work. Paul says this to Timothy, you, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith. And then he says this to Timothy, you have followed my patience. So. Can I just give you a, a caution? The more knowledgeable you become, the more convictional you are, and the more of an expert you are, the easier it is to be impatient. I remember being really frustrated one time with my church where they were at, and calling a mentor, and I was kind of vomiting on him, laying out all of the challenges that I was facing, and just, and he asked me, he said, hey, Mark, I just want to ask you a question. I'm like, okay. Can you remind me a minute, um, who's the Messiah again? <laughs> My answer, of course, well, of course that's Jesus. I just wanted to be sure you knew that still. Because it sounds by the level of impatience, like you're expecting you're going to be able to figure out all of the challenges. I find that some brothers who are involved in revitalization works talk very negatively about their churches. Not all of them, but some of them. I find that they, they, they talk about some of the challenges that they're dealing with, not with a heart of compassion as to how the church got there, but sometimes with the tone as if these people are a barrier to what they want to have happen, and as good as that is, I think pastoral patience is the wiser and better model. Autocratic, authoritarian leadership does not model well 
the value of spiritual patience. Russell Moore says this, the digital revolution has made a visible and spiritual problem that has rocked our churches for a very long time. The idea that identity is found in frenzied activity, the church justifies its existence in this way by the bustle of its busyness and the obviousness of its aliveness. We have learned, listen, to find our identity in our velocity, and that's not just physically dangerous, but spiritually devastating. Some of you are here and you're at this conference and the reality is you wish your church was further along than where it is. I mean, all of us at some level would have that. But you have to be careful that that doesn't become now some internalized either pressure or worse, the way in which now you view your people because you will preach mad. You will preach angry, not with a holy unction because your people need to turn and repent, but because you're frustrated that they don't want to become the church that you need them to become. And the effect is spiritually devastating. People can feel when you're angry with them and it affects not just the tone of your preaching, it affects the tone of your ministry, but they will receive the word differently when they know they are loved. And so I think part of pastoral ministry is understanding the value of patience. I think part of it is modeling that patience. One of the things that has been very helpful in learning from the brothers in Nine Marks, and we have a group of men that meet with me on Tuesdays before we Before I get ready to do a full dive into the study, it's called a preaching application team, and I was able to participate in one of those at a um, thing at Mark's church a few years ago. And what we do is, for the first 20 minutes or so, invite people who are part of that team, about five or six emerging leaders, to offer a critique of the Sunday morning sermon, something positive, something negative, everyone has to share something positive and something negative, and then we go and we dive into the text. And every once in a while, someone will give a criticism that should be constructive, but it's not very constructive. And in talking with one of our pastoral residents about this recently, he said, what's been really helpful is to see how I respond when someone provides criticism that he doesn't think is very fair. And I just want you to know that as you do the labor of ministry, not only receiving criticism privately, but how you receive that when other people are watching is a really important moment to be able to help teach your people about the value of pastoral patience. Those moments are incredibly powerful. Next, 2 Timothy 4, we're to teach with complete patience. He says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience, here it is again, and teaching. What does it mean? It means just the faithful exposition of the scripture where you are making deposit after deposit after deposit after a deposit. I've given up 
knowing how to answer the question, how did you think the sermon went on Sunday? Because I don't know. Because the reality is the sermons I think that go really well usually fall flat, and the sermons I think are absolutely terrible, somehow the Lord seems to use them. Discipleship involves the faithful application in season and out of season with a sense of pastoral patience. And some of you are trying to apply the word with impatience because at one level you want your people to change, but in another you don't realize that that will take a much longer time period than perhaps what you realize or even understand. I happened to be at a Nine Marks event, and um, it was the first five conference, and Mark gave a talk about preaching too hard. And the idea was this, and it was so incredibly helpful, that sometimes pastors preach to try and hit home runs every single Sunday. And if you've hit one home run sermon, you know, man, I want to hit that again and again and again. So you work hard and work hard and work hard, and then you end up putting pressure on yourself, and there's all sorts of, and at the, at the root of that is a, a bit of a self-centered desire to preach the very best sermons. I felt enormously convicted about that because underneath all of that is a lack of patience, a thinking of if I could preach better sermons, that people would change faster, and then as if it all depends upon my ability to preach that particular sermon. And so I determined before the Lord to not have that pressure, to repent of that mindset. And so I just determined that I wasn't gonna preach as good sermons. <laughs> and my church noticed, no. <laughs> but, but I must tell you, that mindset shift was enormous. Going into the pulpit, realizing, God, oh, I'm going to do the best with what I have today, but at the, end of the end, at the end of the day, this doesn't depend upon me. At the end of the day, I can do the very best that I can, but unless you empower, unless you take it, this is not going to work. And what can happen is impatience begins to bleed into the way in which you preach, the way in which you study, the way in which you lead your church. And the, the, what could happen is that your impatience with what God is doing can actually serve to undermine one of the key values of discipleship and pastoral ministry, that being patience. One author says this, Christian reproof without the grace of long-suffering has often led to a harsh, censorious attitude harming the cause of Christ. So, we need to preach with patience. Two more. There needs to be patience in pastoral care. So preach with patience, but also be patient in pastoral care. 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 to 15. Paul says this, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and who are over you in the Lord and admonish you to esteem them highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. We urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and then he says, and be patient with all of them. There were times in my former church, because of their background, that an issue would come up, and I had to remind myself, the reason that we are here is because of years of previous issues, and we're not gonna get through this in a couple years. This is gonna take a while. In fact, in some cases, the pastoral strategy was not just to faithfully apply the word. In some cases, to be frank, it was to outlive some of those people. 
And I just learned to be patient. I was committed to being here long enough to see the church begin to change and grow and move. Also to realize that if this is a significant problem in a person's life, and that particular situation isn't the right moment where I'm supposed to speak into it, if it's a real problem, it's gonna come up again. You ever had a situation like that? Someone tells you some kind of information, you think, hmm, I probably need to speak into it, but I'm not quite sure this is the right situation, and if I do so, I might not have all the facts straight, and therefore, I think wise pastoral advice is to be able to take a step back and pray and realize, you know, I'm gonna be here a while, and the fact of the matter is, if this is an issue, it's gonna come up again, And so I'm gonna be patient and wait for the Lord to provide the right moment to speak into this discipleship opportunity. So patience in pastoral care. Finally then, patient in suffering and unfair treatment. This is hard. The Lord's servant, this is 2 Timothy chapter two, verses 24 to 26. The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone. Rats. (laughs) Able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. And then he says, God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth and they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. I still remember the very first family that got mad about something and left my church. I remember the exact place I was when I got that phone call. I remember the park that I walked in and how unfair I felt like the situation was. Those things do not die easily in one's soul. And yet part of wise pastoral ministry and even discipleship is enduring with people who do not treat you fairly. I remember one time receiving an email from somebody, you've sure received some of these before, They're mad about something, so they send an email and said, and we're so mad about this, maybe we might leave the church. And I wanted to reply, good. (laughs) (laughs) Or, draft number two, well, maybe I'll leave the church and tell everyone it was because of you. Send. (laughs) But I'm not allowed to send those emails as much as I would want to because part of my role is to patiently endure evil. Believing that God may perhaps grant them repentance. And just know that people are watching even how you deal with angry and hurtful people. And in your ministry of discipleship, you have opportunity to model which you probably don't want to model, but you have an opportunity to model patience while facing unfair treatment. Some of you may be here in this very conference. You're in the middle of a scenario, and while I hope and pray that you find a way to navigate your way through it, I also want to remind you that how you navigate your way through it is a very important discipleship moment for the people you serve. 
I remember standing in the lawn of our um, place that we were staying in the summer when a neighbor berated my father because he made a mistake and thought that we had had permission to play as kids on their dock that was out in the lake. And I remember this guy just ripping, like it was crazy how angry he was over a dock. And he was just ripping my dad about, and I remember seeing my dad's reaction and how kind and gracious and deferring and humble he was. And I remember as about a 12-year-old boy seeing how my father responded and thinking, I hope I'm like that when I grow up. And I just want to remind you that there are people who are watching how you respond right now in the midst of the trial or difficulty that you're going through, and all the discipleship programming in the world, all the curriculum that you will have, it's all wonderful and it's all good, but how you respond in a real situation to a real person who's just really gotten your grill, like that is an incredible discipleship opportunity. Don't miss what's right potentially in front of you. Ask the Lord to give you grace to know what you should say or not say, but realize this moment is really important for the sake of your people. I think that pastoral patience needs to be modeled, and I think that patience as a fruit of the Spirit needs to be an important part of what discipleship is in the life of our churches. When you think about discipleship at your church, I want you to think about the value, the strategic value of patience. I want you to think about, do I love my people? Or do I just hate where they're at? Do I love them more than I hate where they're at? After about eight or nine years, I decided that We needed to move away from the King James translation. And I knew that there were about five families in the church who it would be a struggle with. And so what I did is before we made that change, which for you may seem like a no big deal at all, it was a really big deal at the time. What I did is I found each of those families and I took each of them out to lunch. Took me about three or four weeks to pull it all off, and I sat in front of them over a meal, and I said, hey, I want you to know something. You know, I've been your pastor for a number of years here, and I know there's one particular issue that's probably been pretty important to you. It's been this one over the translation issue, and we're going to make a change at the first of the year, and I just wanted to let you know that that's coming, and I'm going to do that, but I love you, and I just want to have this conversation so you can understand why and what my heart is behind all of this. And one after another after another, those conversations not only went incredibly well, I'll never forget one gentleman, as we said goodbye in the parking lot, he turned around and he said to me, you know, thank you, I really feel loved today. And his words, I think, affirm the priority and the value of pastoral patience that loving your people more than you hate where they're at is an important part of discipleship. It's an important part of how you lead the church. And it's an important part of how you create a discipleship culture by loving people more than you hate where they're So, Father, I ask you to use these 
moments to frame in us a love for the people that we serve. I'm sure that there are brothers and sisters that have names and faces of people that even now that you would empower them to be able to pray, Lord, help me to love so-and-so. And I pray that you give them the strength to be able to do so, to wisely lead their congregations or their small groups or their Sunday school class or their discipleship groups. I pray that you'd, you'd launch pastors who know the word and also who love their people. And I pray you'd give us great wisdom to know how to disciple our people in a way that's not only right, but is marked by the love of Jesus. We thank you for the beautiful church, as messy as she is, a bride that's meant to be cherished. We pray you'd make us the kind of people that in our discipling, we model the very heart of Jesus. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.